Our sermon title today is Foundations of Faith, and you'll understand that better as we as we go along. Um, and the first part of this is going to be interactive. That means I'm going to ask questions, and I'm going to wait till you answer. And so we'll need some a mic or two. Um, and as we move a little further in, then I won't harass you any further. Uh, I'll just share things for, uh, from history and from the Bible. Um, but at the beginning, we want to get you thinking, and uh, because that's important to to think. The Bible says, as God says, come now and let us reason together. Uh, he couldn't have said that if he hadn't given us that ability to, to reason. And we're thankful for the, the gift of the word, for the gift of sacred history, the uh, gift of the Bible, so many blessings that he's, he's given to us. But before we begin, let us pray again. Heavenly Father, we ask for you again your presence, your guidance and direction as we contemplate your leading throughout history and in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. So now I've got some questions. Do you believe in things that you cannot see or have not seen? That's a real question. So you can raise your hand if you actually believe in something you can't see or haven't seen. Got any volunteer here? Bobby's, Bobby's got an answer here. Yeah, I believe in, in the Lord. I have not seen, but I know I will see. All right. Okay. Uh, Great. I believe in the Lord whom we see by faith, uh, certainly. Okay, anything else, even down here, that you believe in but you can't see? Ah, here we go. Air. Air, yes, air. <laughs> you can't, Great. can't yeah. see it, but uh, we got to have it. <laughs> yeah, and we see the effects of it. Yeah. Boy, do we see the effects of it sometimes on our storms. Um, but that's good. Um, anything else that's, that's physical that you believe in back here? By, uh, and, and Charles got, a, got an answer back here, too. Uh, and then we'll come back to Robbie. And uh, something that's real, but we can't see. Money in the bank. <laughs> yeah, we take that by faith. Amen. Okay, Robert. Ele- electricity. Electricity, yeah, yeah. Now, you sometimes you can see. We call that lightning. Uh, but uh, most of the time. Uh, and we sometimes experience it personally. When I was overseas in many places, they used 220 instead of 110. And I was trying to fix a socket without turning the power off. Boy, I was a believer. And, uh, but um, there's something else I was thinking about that, that we can believe in, at least I assume you believe in, but we can't see. Okay, Ruth's got an answer over here. Get her a mic. The Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, the Bible says he, he's like the wind. You know, you can see the results, but we don't know when, he, you know, when it's coming or going. Okay, anybody else with, um, okay, Beverly? Gravity. Ah, oh, gravity. Gravity. Ah, oh, good. 
Um, thank you. That's, uh, we're going to have some more questions in just a moment, but uh, we'll, we'll start with those. And, um, and really, this is just a thought question. Um, does it matter whether you believe in gravity or not? Are you still subject to it? In other words, if you're standing on top of a building and you, for some reason, two people want to jump off, and one believes in gravity and one doesn't, the results are going to be exactly the same at the bottom. Um, yes. Um, now, here's another one. Here's another one, and we'll use the mics for this one. Do you believe in your original birthday, your day of birth, and why? Okay, anybody got an answer for that one? Do you believe that you actually had a birthday, and what day it was, and why do you believe that that was the day? Okay, over here we got a... We got a, an official answer. Cause me mother told me so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. In other words, there were eyewitnesses. Um, that is true. That that's important. Um, now there are those people who don't believe in the Holocaust. They don't believe the moon landings ever happened. They think it was trick photography. Um, and there are some people that actually still believe that the earth is flat. And you might wonder, well, why in the world could you possibly believe that today? Got any ideas of why somebody would be <laughs> that oblivious? Um, I know one word that comes to mind starts with an S, but... Uh, it could be that some people still choose to deny overwhelming evidence. They say, well, I haven't seen it personally. So, you know, can't be. Um, a little later in a few minutes, we'll, we'll ask another question about the Bible, but our our mic carriers can sit down for a few minutes and rest, and um, then we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, personally, I believe in the Reformation, John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, the American Revolution, uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin. And uh, I've never met any of those people, but there's reason to believe they existed because we actually have the written reports of their work, or even their writing. During the year of 1776, George Washington wrote almost 700 letters, and many of those still survive, either held by families, descendants, or in museum. And he was desperate to try to get some people to help him in this battle with the greatest military force on earth, England, and he was desperate, so he was writing to the states constantly, please send me, please send me help. Well, we have, those letters are available and have been, have been read by many. Um, for instance, the Magna Carta, you've probably all heard about Magna Carta. This is the Great Charter. And this was written originally in the year 1215, on June 15, and it was in England, and um, that's when a group of rebel barons, or you might say 
chieftains came together to King John of England and said, hey, we need some protections here. We want you to agree to uh, give us certain rights. Um, And there's actually a painting of that event, uh, which I think is quite authentic of, of that event. And in it, King John looks very unhappy because basically they're limiting his power. They said, listen, King, uh, we're going to start sharing your power here, and we want certain rights as the people in this country. And um, what it was is that it was really the beginning, in a limited way, but it was the beginning of democracy, the rule of law, representative government. It was really, really incredibly important. And um, there was something like, it was 3,500 words long, and there was 40, you might say, paragraphs or clauses, and um, uh, 39 and 40 are perhaps the most famous and most important. And one of them, the first one, 39, says, No free man shall be seized, imprisoned, dispossessed, outlawed, exiled, or ruined in any way, nor in any way proceeded against, except by the lawful judgment of his peers and the law of the land. Jury by trial of your peers. There's where that started, right there. Um, And uh, the other one, to no one will we sell, to no one will we deny or delay right or justice. In other words, you say, King, we demand that justice cannot be bought and sold. It has to be the same for everybody. Um, now, what's amazing that after 900 years, four original copies of that writing still exist. They originally did nine, and then they did an additional 30 almost right away. And four of those original copies still exist. And basically, they are the written record of an eyewitness report of what happened at that important uh, event in history. Um, The Bible talks about the power and necessity of eyewitness. In uh, Deuteronomy 19.15, you can look it up or you can look it up later, the the title there in the in the King James Bible says the law concerning witnesses, and it says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses the matter shall be established. Why do we even in the court today? Why do you need more than one witness? We can do a mic now. Why do we need more than one witness? Any ideas? Jim's got an idea. Go ahead and share it. Come on. Get a mic to him. Up here. Uh, to Mr. Penley. And um, why do we need more than one witness? I would, uh, off the cuff, just say collaboration, someone to confirm oh, what confirm. the other person says. Yes, yes, yes. In other words... It's not just one person's story. Um, now, in, in much of the world, all you have to have is one accusation, and you're out. You go to prison. That's all it takes. 
Um, but it says, in the only by two or three witnesses can this happen. Um, okay, thank you, boys. Sit down for a moment, and then we'll call you back with the mics here in just a moment. Thank you very much. Um, also in Matthew, in the New Testament, of course, it's referring back to the Old Testament, uh, Jesus speaking says, But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, with you, one or two more. So now we're talking about two or three witnesses. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Now it's possible that people can get together and, you know, plan their answers. Um, and we have a word for that. Collusion. Um, do you remember during the trial of Jesus that they had they had hired, <laughs> breaking the law of the Old Testament, they had hired false witnesses. But they didn't get together ahead of time because they couldn't agree. Um, of course, it didn't matter anyway. He went ahead and convicted him anyway. Uh, but the power of, of eyewitnesses are so important, um, in, in particularly in, in, in the rule of law and... Um, and really the rise of, of Western civilization. There's another reason for witnesses. Um, and um, let's see, are we, want to make sure we're not keeping the boys waiting here. Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're coming up on this. Um, in Ruth, in the story of Ruth, you remember then when Boaz agrees to buy back Elimelech's property as a part of the Levitical Code, because he had passed away, and apparently she had had to sell it because she was so poor. And um, and then he agrees to marry uh, the daughter, Ruth. And it says there that they come together at, at, the, at, the, at the gate of the city with all the people who were at the gate and the elders, and he does this formally. And he tells them, you are my witnesses to this event. So this was a formal you might say, a town council, court. And then the people who were at the gate in the elders said, we are witnesses. So this theme goes throughout the Bible, the idea of eyewitnesses. Um, and um, so this leads us to the question, why do you believe in the Bible? And how does it relate to this concept of witness and eyewitness? Why do you believe in the truthfulness and the accuracy of the Bible? Okay, we have the mics ready. Um, there's not just one single answer, so don't be afraid. Uh, why do you believe in the Bible? If you could sum it up in a, in a sentence or two. Why do you believe? Throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, it supports itself. It's consistent. Yes, it's it's consistent. It's a golden chain of truth. Uh, okay, Robbie. Oh, are we? Are you, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, the Lord says, "Test me to know that my word is true," and we have to take that to heart. And I believe with the Holy Spirit's anointing. As you study the word, it gives you conviction into his word. 
All right, all right. Internal and external witness, okay? Um, the first chapter of Steps to Christ says that all nature testifies of him. And when Jesus was crucified, his creation was like shutting down. The sun couldn't even shine. Amen, amen. Uh, yes. The things the Bible said would happen have happened. And has actually happened and has never been proven wrong. And the more we learn and we uncover and discover, the more truth we find every day. Amen. As Jesus said, the rocks would cry out. And the rocks are crying out. Archaeology, is, as they dig deeper and deeper, they're finding more and more evidence that the Bible is the most accurate historical record. Okay, we have another answer back here. Here we're coming around the, behind you there. There is no there are no words more powerful than in the Bible. That's why it says that it's a more powerful than a double sword, something yes, like yes, that. Yes, yes, two-edged yes. sword. Thank you. Yes. I believe it because there were several different authors, and there isn't two of us in this room can agree on the same thing, and it chronologically falls together in order. And for thirty-seven years, I had left the church and never forgot anything there. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. I hold my hand the highest now. And after coming back and realizing and reading the Bible, it's very self-explanatory. Amen. Amen. Uh, Okay. We have another answer up front here. The Bible changes hearts and lives. Okay. There's the, there's the external evidence that we can see, the, the eyewitness, yes. The other thing is, when they got ready to go to the moon, what did they have to rely on? The day that was lost, it's in the Bible. They had to find that day so that they would have the correct, uh, what they need to know. And they had to coordinate the orbit of the earth, the orbit of the moon, all of this stuff. We call what we see in nature the laws of nature, but it really is God at work in an organized way, so consistent that we can tell a year from now exactly when the sun's going to rise on this date next year. Now, that's amazing. You know, back on this idea of, you know, people agreeing or not agreeing. Um, I've heard that even husbands and wives don't always agree. And <laughs> and, uh, but on the other hand, it's always good to get a second opinion. That's why the Catholic Church doesn't allow the priest to marry. They don't want second opinions. Um, but uh, all of this is important because it relates to eyewitnesses. The Dead Sea Scrolls, we're talking about the, the authenticity of the Bible. And, and back in, in 1947, uh, it was 46, and then for the next uh, eight years, they were discovering more and more of these scrolls. And um, these were fragments. They were in jars. They'd been hidden in caves. And apparently this community was... was, was transmitting the Bible and copying the Bible of, all, of the Old Testament primarily and some of the New. Um, and as the Romans were approaching and then the destruction of Jerusalem was imminent, these people in this community 
took their writings that they had been faithfully keeping and transmitting, and they hid them in caves. Um, and there they were for almost 2,000 years. Um, and it was written on sheepskin, um, and they were discovered. And the most complete part of all these fragments from the Old and New Testament was the book of Isaiah. Isn't that amazing? The greatest prophetic book, you might say, and one of the longest in the Old Testament. And so that was, was complete. Um, now, what was interesting, the, when you know, they were finding this and it was announcing it and they were, you know, of course, having to decipher it and translate it because um, most of it was written in, in Hebrew or Aramaic or, or the Greek. And uh, the, the skeptics were saying, ah, oh, now we're going to find out that so much has been lost. You know, they, they, they didn't get it right. We're, you, know, you know, we can't trust the Bible. Guess what? It's just as accurate. Um, then as the later copies were. Um, and so at the time just before the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, the earliest manuscripts that had been discovered um, dated from about the year um, 1200, 1100, somewhere in there. And so suddenly it goes back a thousand years. And we saw, wow, God was overseeing protecting the transmission of his word. Now, we shouldn't be surprised, but we're certainly thankful. Um, There's so many records which we have, which are records of eyewitness reports. Um, For instance, the book, uh, Daubigny's History of the Reformation, very large book, uh, originally written in French. Then Fox's Book of Martyrs, that's been pretty heavy reading. Uh, when I was about 10 years old, my dad decided it was time for me to read that book. And, um, but uh, it's a, really a history uh, of the faithful ones through those ages. Um, also, there's another book, Truth Triumphant, which not many people have, have seen. And uh, this is a history of God's work, his mission work, his missionaries, and their work from the time after the apostles all the way up to the Reformation. Very interesting. And uh, it tells a lot of things that most people, and I, I wasn't aware of either. I had hoped it would be the case, but I'm going to read you some of the titles. Um, The silent cities of Syria, Lucian and the church in Syria. Now, these were Christian, faithful church leaders and missionaries. Vigilantes, leader of the Waldensius. Patrick, organizer of the church in Ireland. Of course, you probably heard that name. Columba and the church in Scotland. Pappas, the first head of the church in Asia. Um, Denuth and the church in Wales. These are all real people. Uh, And it's been... Carefully documented, we have their writings, the writings of eyewitnesses of their work. Aidan in the Church of England, Columbanos, Church in Europe. Um, Timothy of Baghdad, have you ever heard of Timothy of Baghdad? I haven't before. Uh, St. Thomas Christians of India, Marcos of Peking. And it tells the story of the spread of the gospel through really out 
the whole known world at that time, all the way to Japan, Russia, all these areas. And um, really an amazing history. Now, it's not easy reading. This is quite a couple of notches above Reader's Digest. Uh, but, and so I've studied it so much that my book's falling apart. And um, which you can get it on either uh, teachservices.com, which has a lot of our books, and some of the ones hard to find. And you can also, interestingly enough, get it on Amazon. Now, what particularly was intriguing to me when I discovered this book, um, and uh, I think I learned about it from, from my parents. Well, the author is a B.G. Wilkinson, Ph.D., and I learned from my parents <clears throat> that he was, when they were in college, at Washington Missionary College, Tacoma Park, Maryland, when I was born during that time, um, that was the president of the college. He was a college. But his love was history. He was a historian. And he's the one who wrote this book. And it is such a blessing. Really, the Bible itself is a, is a history of the world, an eyewitness account. Um, now, it's interesting <clears throat> that in the New Testament, we talk about the four big witnesses, the four Gospels. But do you know that only three of them are eyewitnesses? Who was not a direct eyewitness of Christ's life. Here was Luke. And let's take a look at the first chapter, first verse, first several verses. And uh, so this is Luke, who was um, Paul's traveling companion, private physician, um, and apparently had a Greek background. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order the narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered to us, it seemed good to me, having had a perfect understanding of all these things, the first, to write to you an orderly account, apparently a, a, a noble friend of his, most excellent Theopolis. So Luke was not a direct eyewitness, but he got to meet the eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus. And those who had seen Jesus, those who had been there from the beginning. And, of course, I'm sure he talked with Mary and Peter and all the others, um, as Paul did. Uh, and, of course, Peter, you remember, speaks about the that they were eyewitnesses, First Peter, or Second Peter 1.16, they were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And I think he particularly, Peter, was talking about the transfiguration. But I think he was really talking about the life of Christ because they saw the majesty of his character, the greatness of his character, which they finally understood after the after the uh, resurrection. Um, and the Paul, writing in First Corinthians, said that, um, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he says that when he rose on the third day, he was seen by Cephas, that's the, one of the other names for Peter, then by the twelve apostles, and after that, he was seen by over 500 believers at once, again, showing the power of the eyewitness, firsthand contact. And Paul, 
while not an eyewitness while Christ here was on earth, but he got to meet Jesus on the road to Damascus. Um, and, of course, had many encounters and visions, uh, apparently later. But uh, we see in, in um, John 20, verses 20, 24, this was part of our scripture for today, if you want to open your Bible to that. And um, this was the story of Thomas. And I've often wondered if Thomas had realized that he would go down in history as doubting Thomas, would he have been more careful to have more faith? Uh, but, you know, here's all the others saying, we've seen the Lord. You know, Mary, the different Marys had seen the Lord. And, and they come and tell, they come together, and uh, for a whole week, Thomas says, I won't believe. I won't believe until I can see it personally, so I can touch Jesus, touch his side. He wouldn't believe, which was really sad because I'm sure he loved the other disciples. He loved these people, but he had to hang up like some people today. Boy, if I can't see it personally, I don't believe it. But Jesus allowed Thomas to see him, allowed him to touch him. And Thomas then finally says, my Lord and my God. But Jesus said gently, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So, Witness is incredibly important. Eyewitness is important. The eyewitness of others. The eyewitness of, of, of historical records, which is what the Bible is. The historical records of others. Uh, how important this is. Um, but the Great Awakening, we're talking a little bit about that, and the Millerite movement, worldwide preaching, second coming, in the early 1830s and 40s, uh, which incidentally was also the rise of communism and the evolutionary theory. Uh, whenever the devil sees something big about to happen, he really goes into high gear to, to present a counterfeit. Um, and um, we, we see all this happening, the found, you know, beginning of our church, the gift of prophecy in Second Chronicles twenty twenty verse twenty, you know, uh, King Jehoshaphat was facing a giant enemy army. He praised the Lord. Um, he says, "We need help." He reminds the Lord of his promises, and um, and then by faith he goes out, and he's and there was a local prophet. You can read that in chapter twenty. There was a local prophet um, who counsel them that the Lord would be with them, that he would give uh, the children of Israel the victory against that mighty army. And um, his name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Matiah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. So we have his biography, his history. And so this was a local prophet recognized for his faithfulness to the Lord and the accuracy of his work. And uh, 
And they gave the message. So don't don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And so Jehoshaphat, king, and the people believed. And then in verse 20, uh, King Jehoshaphat says these beautiful words. Hear, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, that's plural, and you shall prosper. Now he was talking about not only this local prophet, who was a non-canonical prophet, never wrote anything that we know about, no writings recorded, and there were many of those in the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament. Um, But he's also including the prophets such as Moses and the others who had writings, which they had access to. And he's calling the people to believe in the Lord your God and his messengers, his prophets. There is a a set of books which is very, very valuable, which is really the history of uh, the founding of our church and the prophetic gift. And it's a six-volume biography. Um, Very, it's it's about Ellen White in the the beginning. Of course, that includes the, the other pioneers. It's really a history of our church. And it was written by a grandson, Arthur White, and it took nearly 20 years in the making. They started it in 1966. It was finished in 1985. And uh, it it was a massive undertaking, a tremendous amount of research. Um, And when you read that, you see, and these are records of firsthand eyewitness accounts of what happened in in the beginning of the Millerite movement, the Great Awakening, the 1844s, and all the way up and all the way through to to uh, the early 1900s, very moving, very powerful, very historical, um, and very encouraging because we see God at work using ordinary people to do extraordinary things for Him. And I had the privilege of meeting the author of that commentary set, uh, Arthur White, when I was in Academy. Uh, I had a dear friend who's passed away now that I worked with for many years, uh, Cole Porter leader, Chuck Williams. And his grandfather, as a young boy, got to hear God's messenger, Ellen White, speak at camp meeting. My parents met people who had gotten to hear her preach and the other pioneers preach uh, of our church. While we are not, you might say, the direct eyewitnesses of the things that happen in the Bible recorded there or later events in, in history in the Reformation. Nevertheless, as was mentioned earlier, we are eyewitnesses of what the Lord has done for us and what he has done for others that we know. Transformations, amazing transformations that take place only through the power of God's word. In Mark uh, 5, and it's also mentioned, I think, in in Luke 9, but um, it's the story of the demoniac who was healed. And he wanted to stay with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. Now, that was the event where the demon said, don't cast us into the abyss, just let us go into the pigs. Of course, the Jews weren't supposed to be keeping pigs in the first place. Um, and so the Lord said, okay, you go into the pigs, the pigs went into the sea, 
and the whole area got really upset because a lot of money went literally down the drain, you might say. And um, so they didn't want Jesus around. They were, leave, leave, you know. But Jesus told this one missionary, new missionary, who'd been healed, go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. According to the Bible, the next time Jesus and the disciples came out, came back to the same area, the whole region came out to hear Jesus. Why? Because of the eyewitness of one person. The power of our witness, of what the Lord has done through us through the power of his word. People may argue and disagree with our understanding of Scripture. But it's very difficult to argue with a personal testimony of a changed life of what the Lord has done for us. And we praise the Lord, praise the Lord for that privilege, that he's still alive and well, the Holy Spirit is still alive and well, and that the closer we come to the second coming, the more effective and powerful will be our witness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work throughout history, for the power of eyewitnesses, for the records, the authentic records of Scripture, of sacred history, and throughout the ages of your work. We're thankful for your work today, and we pray that it may continue powerfully as you promised until the day of your coming. In Jesus' name, amen.